Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice. It has been said, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many games out there that just that are worth our hobby time and our hobby dollars. We just want to play everything, and there's just too many good things to play. And that is the purpose of this podcast, to talk about some of the games that are out there right now, and to talk about some of the big industry events that are happening, and really to talk about the games that my guests and I enjoy playing. I am really excited about this particular episode because I have an old guest of who's been on, I literally cannot count how many times this man has been on podcasts that I've been a part of. But this will be his very first time on Cast Dice, and it is the first time I've actually spoken, you know, quote-unquote live with, um, not over Facebook, to this gentleman in, God, two to three years? He is one of the most prolific hobbyists there is. The man is a machine, and he is a damn good human being on top of that. It is my distinct pleasure and honor to welcome Seabax to cast How's it going, buddy? Good, man. How you doing? Doing great. Long time. Oh, God, man. It is so good to hear your voice. I know it's been it's it's been years and years. What did we talk last was after we uh, made our transition from bolt action to Malifaux. Yeah, that's right. And so that was like this the first or second episode of the LRDG two, uh, which was the yeah. predecessor of this show. So it's been three years because I think that ran a year and a half, and then this has been running a year and a half. So yeah, it's been a long time. How you been, brother? I've been good, staying busy with the fam and the, and the job, and trying to get hobby time in where I can, and mm-hmm. you know, trying to crush it at life. That's it. That's it. Well, if you are not familiar with Seabax's stuff, if you were ever uh, looking at BoltAction.net or you know WWPD before that, um, Seabax is just a man who uh, creates hobby. Uh, he just you know, there's a. You you you're playing a game. He's playing. All of a sudden, there you know there doesn't appear to be an option for something in the game. Seabax makes it magically appear. Um, you've really got that gift of a creating models from nothing, um, like pulling bits and pieces together to make something that looks like you know the quote unquote official range slash coming up with the rules for them in a way that isn't. You know, sometimes people house rule things and, you know, the power level gets blown out completely. Well, you're a man who actually really believes in and really goes to great lengths to balance things and to make sure that everything is, you know, leveled. Uh, I mean, you were one of the guys who was largely responsible for the first edition of the BoltAction.net rules, for example. Right. So, yeah, that's I. I've always, um, you know, for me, I've always been more of a narrative player. I like right. I like the story element of of games. I like what is what's being told. Um, for me, it's it's never been about. Well, I mean, not always. I mean, you get the tournaments; it's a little different. Right. But it primarily, you know, I like I I've always, I grew up a historical gamer, mm-hmm. um, which is weird because uh, most of us when we were like. 10, 11, 12, 13, and first get into the hobby, you know, we were all doing Warhammer mm-hmm. or people were doing, that's how they got into the hobby. And it was always sci-fi and fantasy, but I grew up in a historical gaming household. So it, it's always been about the narrative. It's been about, you know, recreating historical battles or a, a historical feel 
to a game um, and, and historical accuracy has always been important. And so important in, in the household I grew up in, mm-hmm. in, in a gaming household, you know? And so for me, when I started playing any game, whether it's a historical game, a sci-fi game, a fantasy game, a steampunk game, I am, I've always been more interested in the feel. I want to feel like I'm there in the, in that space, in that place, experiencing things. So whether it's the terrain or the models or how things interact with each other, for me, what's more important is that it feels right as opposed to, is it powerful? Did I win? Am I smashing my opponent to the ground? You know, what's the you know, so coming up with creative objectives, coming up with balance, and also engaging players across the board to right. me has always been important. Mm-hmm. I always hated because in the historical world, you typically, when you come from a historical background, it's the the gaming experience is a lot more um, community oriented in the sense that that it's not necessarily me against you; it's me and two or three other guys against you and two two or three other guys right. on a side, and so it's a it's a community experience in that you're working together as a team trying to play a game against another group of people who are working together as a team and i always enjoyed that element of historical gaming even when i was playing bolt action back in the day i mean our community up here was not a community where i built an army and you built an army and we showed up at you know friday or thursday night game night and we just you know built a hundred and or a thousand point force and played each other it was always i'd put on a big game i'd have three or four of my buddies over we'd break up sides. We'd play with like 2000 points on the board and it would be like, you know, you we're going to, we have to try to take this uh, river crossing, but your opponent's trying to do these other things. You kind of have to figure it out. And, you know, and that was one thing, like when we, we had casted about Malifaux back in the day that right. I always enjoyed about Malifaux is the way that the, the Malifaux's missions are built. It's very narrative driven and it takes a lot of the like, uh, heavy guesswork and prep work out of it because it's very easy to come up with a very thematic game just using that their unique mission system. Yeah. Um, I always enjoyed that about Infinity. I thought Infinity um, was very narrative-driven, which mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. Um, and so narrative play has always been something that's important to me. It's something I... I am lucky enough to have a really good group of friends uh, locally who play Dungeons and Dragons 5e, and I'm the DM. And they're they're not real big meta gamers. They're they're much more into the story, and so they'll do what their they think their characters sh- their characters would do as opposed to what they know should be done. Right. Um, and so the narratives and the storytelling elements of gaming has always been it's always been what um, I enjoyed the most. And so for me, it's like. I want to feel be immersed into the world, you know. You know, like when you play a really good video game and you just feel like you're immersed in this rich world that's interactive. When I when I war game, I want to feel the same way, you know. I want to totally. look at the terrain and I want to say this is a real place. This isn't just random terrain placed out on the board. I'm playing World War II, but there's some sci-fi stuff because that's what is in my collection, you know. Mm-hmm. I probably, you know me, I pro- for for years, I invest more money probably in my terrain than I do in my miniatures. Oh, yeah. That's um, safe and more time into my terrain. <laughs> you know, I have, I like to have Lots of lots of little bits and little extras and scatter terrain to make it look like a real place. Um, my dad used to take me to um, this convention in Seattle um, called Infolod when I was a kid. We'd fly down from from Alaska and go every couple of years. And I just remember playing Sword in the Flame, which is this kind of col- col- it's a colonial game mm-hmm. um, where you you're playing like uh, European colonial powers out in the colonies fighting off. 
um, you know, oftentimes it's, you know, fighting off the local tribesmen or, or uh, re- rebellious ga- groups, whether it's in the Sudan or in Egypt or in Afghanistan or uh, Libya. And we played this game and this guy, it was like a train station. And the guy had, you know, villagers and a marketplace and the market stalls had, you know, food and urns and carpet sellers and there awesome. were animals out in the water and, and the, there were trees. And it's not, it, these are not things you have to have to play the game, but when you have them, they make the game so much more enjoyable and so much more real. So I remember being this like 13 year old kid and going like, I don't, I don't ever want to play a game that isn't this. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It was like someone had shown me the, the, the Holy land. And I was like, I never want to come down from the mountain. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so for me, every time I, I get into a game, you know, I, I, I just go all in on the terrain, all in on, on the immersive experience of the terrain. Um, you know, I want it to look like a village in Russia, or I want to look it to look like, um, you know, a hobbit town that's being raided by orcs. So I want it to look like, um, a sci-fi, um, you know, steampunk, mm-hmm. you know, world with all the gears and all the elements to that and the top hats and the, this and the vendors and the sellers and the animals and that, you know, all that stuff that, that exists in real life that make, um, that make a world come to life. You know, I have a hard time not, not driving around town or going to visit my in-laws farm in rural America or, or whatever, and not looking at a, a space and going like, this is what woods really look like. This is what right. croplands really look like. This is what fences do naturally. And this is what, how, if I'm going to build a board, I want it to look like, I don't want it to just be like, well, you throw down a square of crops and you throw down a house here and a wood here and you call it a day. And that's, yeah. that's what you do, you know? So what I love about so, what you do though, when you do that is when you're creating these rich tabletops of terrain that sort of match the narrative of your games, a lot of the stuff you're pulling out, um, though I do know you do spend a lot of money on terrain and uh, you know just resources for the tabletop, some of the stuff you put down is really simple, cheap stuff you can find that you've repurposed and you know oftentimes converted lovingly to to match what else is on the table. But it just it fits right in and blends right in. So when you ask, "Oh, what is that?" and you answer, and you go, "Oh, it is, isn't it?" Um, but I think it's just, I think it's what you're talking about. It's just looking for the, the things you need for your tabletop in everyday life. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of really good resources out there. You know, I, 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 I obsess about terrain building to make the table come to life. And Mm. so I watch a lot of, I follow a lot of Instagrammers and guys on Facebook and Facebook groups and YouTube channels that, that, that are I use as inspiration, essentially. Mm. One of the big ones out there that I really enjoy is DM Scotty. Um, he's, he, he's, a, a, a Dungeons and Dragons crafter mm-hmm. and he, I mean, he'll build an entire, what looks to be like a, like a, a four by six foot table worth of Dungeons and Dragons trains with all the interactive parks. And he might spend $15 on everything because oh, awesome. he's constantly looking and constantly keeping his eye out. If I go to the grocery store or go to the craft store, or I'm in like a, a antique store or a little little toy store or traveling with my wife, you know, around the, the States or doing whatever, you know, she'll roll her eyes because I'll be like scooping up this, you know, sale item or like, like a handful of like miniature trash cans. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I never know when I might need a bunch mm-hmm. of miniature trash cans, 
you know, and I'm always looking for those things. I'm always at hardware store. If I'm at the hardware store for something for the house and something catches my eye and I'm like, Hey, I could use that for this. Like it goes in the basket, you know, and, and looking for deals and finding things at that, you know, little hole in the wall train stores or model stores or, you know, um, things like that. You just got to, you just have to keep your eye out for the deals and scoop them up when you see them. Cause you never know when they're going to go away. That's right. Um, uh, but there's a lot of really simple things you can do too. You know, like, like a lot of the stuff, like, you know, we're, we plan on talking about specifically fallout today, Spoilers. Um, you know, and spoiler <laughs> alert, right. You know, and there's a lot of simple things like, like, corrugated um cardboard or construction board um Mm -hmm. for that you know you you see like every second grade teacher throw up on their bulletin board what are you talking about i don't have any of that that that, the roles of that stuff you know as a kid growing up or you know like uh i use a lot of you know there's a lot of chain link fence and it's hard to find cheap good material for that and one day me and my dad are working on on some um on his house and he pulls out this roll of like kind of like 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 expanded mesh, um, like for for whatever construction job. And I was like, that looks exactly like exactly like chain link fence. And I'm like, how much? Where'd you get this? How much is it? Like, well, you can get a like a 300 foot roll of it for like twelve dollars at the hardware store. And I was like, yes, sir. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I'll never have to buy stuff to make chain link fences again in my life. You know, and then mm-hmm. it's just little techniques. There's so many. It's it's amazing. There's so many resources out there now than there even were when we were doing bolt action podcasts. Oh, absolutely. There's, you know, I I on Instagram I follow a ton of like um, model painters, model like like miniature scale like terrain people who. I mean, I mean, I'm not even talking about wargaming. They just make like model dioramas from scratch. A lot of scratch building stuff. Um, and the ideas you can get from that and and the resources you can find now are way more than they ever were as when we were kids. I remember – do you remember the old like GW like wargaming mm-hmm. terrain books they put out and it was like the holy grail? Yes. And you had like – you were like – you just wished your terrain could look like what was in that book. Yeah. And I look back on that book and I'm like that was so – that stuff is so like – today if you put that stuff on the board, it would look so – unnatural yeah, you know and average it would have a very re- a very retro wargaming feel compared to what's available now yeah and and with the advent of 3d printers and what you can find on like shapeways and mm-hmm. thingiverse and etsy and ebay that people are doing and that you can get for fairly cheap or if you have a buddy and you can That's download right. some files i mean it's just like endless resources to be able to make your table come to life um and to tell that story so yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's always been a really big part of, part of my gaming. Yeah. I, I, I know that a couple of years ago, everyone was talking about how much 3d printing was going to change the gaming industry and how, you know, games workshop would go out of business because no one would be able, you know, they, people could just make the models and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and clearly we have not hit that point yet, but I have a huge collection of uh, 3d printed vehicles now that have been uh, 3d printed into resin by a guy in the u.s um and they're just thingiverse files and i've send him the which file i like and i send him the size and i say can i get this in resin please and he prints them and i get them and sure i mean if you compare it to maybe a games workshop kit or a warlord games tank the detail isn't there or it isn't the same yeah 
But but they pass the three foot rule. <laughs> amen. Do they pass the three foot rule? And they do have detail that you can paint. And when I, you know, when I painted my Mobat tank, and then I, you know, I was like, oh yeah, that looks great. And then I added the um, the chip effect on it to make it, you know, the whitewash, make the green pop oh, through yeah. it. All of a sudden, it was perfect. And I went, yeah. Well, this is this is cool. sensational. Yeah. But what you can do with tanks and those vehicles that you can't get otherwise, because you can get a bunch of World War II stuff on Shapeways now that no one makes. Um, or oh, Legion. My, I, my, yeah. my, my buddy Andy, locally, he's got two print. He got two three D printers, and mm-hmm. he runs those things around the clock. Yeah. And he's found files for, you know, every World War II, you know, major mm-hmm. World War II vehicle you could find. And they come out looking nearly as good, you know, yeah. as you can get from from model kits. And you know, they take a while to print, but I mean, stuff is available. It is, you know. And I think you know, for a lot of for a lot of people, that's a a, a good resource to be able to continue to hobby and grow, yeah. um, you know. And and eventually, uh, I mean, I agree. I think eventually, three D printers are going to take over a lot of the model building. But what companies are going to do is they're going to sell you files, exactly. you know. They're going to sell you subscriptions to fo- to their website or sell you files, or they're going to become, I mean, everything's going to become digital. Your models are digital. Your rules are digital. You have everything on your iPad. You print it yourself, you know, and it's not like the hobby's going to, I mean, the hobby's not going to die or suffer no. from it, you know, exactly. but there's it's also evolved. like, like, you know, there's so, there's so many cool games out there and companies out there that come up with cool rules and cool miniatures. Like I don't mind paying someone to do the printing for me or do models for me mm-hmm. like that's not i it doesn't it doesn't bug me no yeah at all clearly it doesn't quality, bug me either. To, to let someone else to do all the design work and all the mm-hmm. the head work to do it and then sell it to me for me to paint and put it on the board totally. you know i mean look at like cool mini or not all their games i mean the models that come in a cool mini or not board game mm-hmm. are as good as any miniature company yeah. game you know and it's just, you know, it floors you that these are just board game pieces anymore. Right. You know, and I find a lot, I find a ton of models that I use, whether it's for D&D or for Fallout or for um, for other games that I played or have played. I get a lot of, a lot of models out of board games these days. I'm like, mm, I can use it for this board game mm-hmm. and I can repurpose it for whatever else totally. you know and it and they work they work just fine because i mean back in the day the soft plastic garbagey models didn't you couldn't do that and now right. you can and so i just think we're going to see quality go up and up the exactly. big problem is too many games and not enough time if you got a job you got mm-hmm. a family you got you know other life things going on you know it can be very difficult to find find hobby time and then find game time and it's it's that's what that's what's so challenging I think for now nowadays with with the the game market it used to be you only you only really had three or four choices in games or and then maybe you only got to go game the game you wanted at a convention and now it's like you might not be able to find anyone to play your game because there's just too many of them out there now and that's what's sad there's so many good games out there that that really deserve you know accolades and people's attention and and it, they're just they're just too many options. We always say too many games, not enough time, or not enough time, too many games. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, well, so, 
Well, to uh, to quote old Bolt Action, uh, I guess it's old Bolt Action .net week because uh, I was actually talking to Judson this week, and uh, I actually wrote this down. This is what he said because um, we, we were talking about too many games, not enough time, and he said, and I may have to steal this for the introduction for Cast Dice because it's been a year and a half of me saying the same thing. We have arrived in an amazing age in gaming where everyone is overwhelmed by choice. We're all old enough to afford this stuff now, too, adding a delicious shake of irony to the recipe <laughs> of old man yeah, life. So you just go, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, and what's great, it's like, I mean, just choose, choose an IP. Right. There's a game for it. Yeah. Like, did you grow up loving Ninja Turtles or Ghostbusters mm-hmm. or... Or, you know, Judge Dredd or Fallout mm-hmm. or Star Trek or Star Wars. I mean, 10 years ago, it was like, man, you know what a company really needs to do? They need to have like a Warhammer style game of Star Wars, but no one's ever done it. No one's mm-hmm. ever done it. You know, and now you can do Star Wars in literally every flavor. You can role so play good. it. You can do yeah. big space battles. You can do small space battles. You can do land battles. You can do, you know, D or, or RPG light. You can do full on narrative play, mm-hmm. you know, and then or but if you want to do Star Trek, there's the same option for Star Trek. Yep. If you want. I mean, it's just endless. It's absolutely endless. If you love the IP, if you love the world or if you want to create your own world, there's options for it. It's totally. just the, the real challenge is finding the friends who you want to either invest the time or the money into doing it with you. Amen. Oh God, I, I could not have said that better. But in case, in case you do happen to love an IP and you want to play Star Wars, but you don't like Legion, which I do like Legion. I'm just using that as an example. Um, there's games like Seven TV that provide alternative rules for that literally fit anything. It's like GURPS, the role playing system in the right. 80s. You can use it for any setting. Seven TV, as long as it's something that you know you could tie to a television show or a movie, you can use it. So I have the Ninja Turtles not to play a Ninja Turtle game. I have Ninja Turtles to play Seven TV, James Bond, right? That, but it's like I have all these Star Wars Legion models. And there's a free PDF of Star Wars rules for 7TV. So it's like, oh, I can play this or I can play that. And in some cases, if you're building up an army for a particular IP, if you want to play larger battles, like I have uh, Cobra Commander and some Crimson Guardsmen that are all painted up and ready to go for the tabletop. I don't have enough to play a game of bolt action with them yet. But I do have enough to play a game of Seven TV if I want to play some skirmish TV fun, and I did. But it, nice. you know, it was you know you can com- you can mix and match. You could have Ninja Turtles versus Cobra Commander. You could have, and it, it just opens up yeah. that those opportunities. And again, um, I've got a few. I'm lucky enough to have a few friends locally that are willing to go. Oh yeah, you want to go play this game? Let's go try it out. Dave Monroe will try any good game, and he's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. And so we've been playing yeah. Warlords of Erewhon, the new Rick Priestley game. It's awesome. And you're just able to sit down, roll some dice, have a good time with a friend, and, you know, re-rack it if something doesn't make sense. Go, oh, I think we played that wrong. Let's set that back up again. Not playing for sheep stations, you know, not competitive, but figuring out the rules and having a good time while we're doing it. Right. So, yeah. yeah. When we were playing Bolt Action, I had, I had years ago got really, really into the old Wizards of the Coast Star Wars miniature collectible yeah, miniatures game, the pre-painted ones. And I bought 
I bought everything. I would go online and buy lots of, you know, 20, 30 stormtroopers. Mm -hmm. And just, I was like, nope, because I want to be able to do big battles with Warhammer rules or something or do an RPG one day. And I have, I mean, I have tubs of that stuff. And I was like, and one day I'm going to give them to my kids and they're going to be like, this is the best Christmas ever. Dad, you rock. Like I was like thinking, I was playing the long game buying those up. And I used to pull those out, and we'd play bolt action right. using using those Star Wars miniatures, and we had a blast. You know, squads of stormtroopers versus squads of rebels, and mm-hmm. you know, throwing out officers, and had you know, had all the vehicles from the game, and just really, really had a great time with that. I mean, it's just it is it's a it is a golden age where you can do just about anything, and the biggest problem is finding the time. You know, I'm lucky. Yeah. I have a really great group of friends locally, uh, game groups that are willing to try just about anything and come over, um, you know, and, and, and play, um, you know, it's still a lot of, you know, I end up because I'm such a, such a, uh, I have such a squirrel brain when it comes to games. I'm like game, game, game. That I'm going <laughs> and, and inv- yeah, I'll go invest a bunch and I'll be like, come on over guys, let's play this game. We'll play this game for three, four, five, six months. And then it's on to the next one and on to the next mm-hmm. one and on to the next one. Um, you know, and it's just, it's been, it's been great. You know, when we, I loved my time playing bolt action at a really great time, but mm-hmm. for, you know, and you were, we were in the same boat for the yep. better part of what, three or four years. It yep. was that was all we did because we were trying to generate content. We were putting together podcasts, putting together, um, blog posts, videos on YouTube. I mean, everything and trying to stay on top of the game and, and make sure we were. And and so it was our lives. And since, since that's ended, I've really, I've had the opportunity to just play lots and lots of lots of different games. You know, I've played, um, most recently I've been playing fallout, mm-hmm. but done D and D campaigns, um, test of honor from warlord, um, Malifaux, um, you know, um, uh, blood and plunder, the main, just all sorts of games that have come along and you, you collect some miniatures, you play for a while, move on to the next one. And I have this just, Oh, saga was in there, yep. you know, just a ton of stuff. And it's just, you know, and all these games that I've played, I can say, are absolutely fantastic. They're well written. They're well thought out. Mm-hmm. They, people have done a lot of time to to make the rules simple but immersive, um, and accessible, and very narrative driven. And it's been a ton of fun seeing just the creativity. You know, it's art as our generation has grown up playing games, and now are like like you said, we're now adults and we've got the money, and now we're putting all our ideas. You know, are starting to put our ideas into into businesses that fund these games or push these games forward, and there's just the sky seems to have been is is the limit. Yeah, you know, and it's it's great, and it, it's just I wish I wish I didn't have a real job sometimes, and yeah. all I could do is is make a living off of like hobbying and playing games mm-hmm. and rolling dice and meeting up with people. I mean, to me, like that would be the best. Yeah. you know, if you could, if I could start a business that was like an Airbnb where I just hosted games and people came and like stayed at, stayed at my like destination house and game resort. And then I put on games of, you know, whatever they wanted and knew all the rules and helped them, helped them like just game master, never roll dice, but game master for them. And I could make a living off of that. 
you know, That'd be count, awesome. sign me up. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, that might be, uh, I know we joked a long time ago, at least I think Patch and I did the last time he was on about having the retirement community where we're all next to one another. And we all mm-hmm. set up and play games in our retirement age when we have time. But instead of a instead of a golf course, we have a convention hall. Yeah, that's it. Hey, hey, I uh, would keep our keep our minds active. But um, all right, that's right. I, I think um, we have now been talking for almost a half an hour, and we haven't actually talked about the game that I'm having you on to talk about. Um, it, uh, so let's 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 cut to the chase. So Fallout. Now, this is one of the yes. games, Fallout Wasteland Warfare. Now, this is the tabletop war game uh, or tabletop skirmish game, narrative game. Uh, it, it really sort of falls into a lot of categories. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd call it like a RPG light. Yes. Like think of um, Descent or Imperial Assault from FFG, mm. um, you know, or even like Heroes Quest. I mean, that's kind of like the light. That's the original like mm-hmm. RPG light. Um, to me, when I, I've played, I've probably played maybe 15 games of it so far, and it feels, to me, it feels like those games, but without like a hex-based grid map system where right. it's like open, open play miniatures with like a with that tabletop, but it is it is role playing light, and that you're exploring and you're going on missions, and there's an interactive element to the game that you don't get from most miniatures games, but you do get from those RPG light games. Exactly. And uh, okay, there's a I have I have a huge list of things that I'm going to ask you about exactly kind of what you were just talking about and how it relates to the rules, but we'll get to that in a second. This is um, not to be confused with the Fantasy Flight Games Fallout board game, which we talked about in a prior episode a while back. That is, um, and if you want to hear more about my love of Fallout and the Fallout universe, please go back to that episode of Cast Ice. This is, um, however. A this is a completely different game. It's made by Modiphius, um, who made the Star Trek game and did a lot of other more role play type games. Um, they haven't done a lot of miniature games. Um, they've done a few. The Star Trek game is one that I'm most notably aware of. But um, I think that their experience with role playing systems has really shown through this system because Fallout is a game that you're not really going to want to do. You don't really want a system. I mean, the Fallout video game is just, it's so open sandbox. You can just run around and do almost anything you like. There's constant side quests. There's constant missions. Um, You can grind out um, just hours and hours of just dungeon exploration slash world exploration um, in, you know, post-apocalyptic worlds. Um, Or the post-apocalyptic sort of fake 1950s America. Um, And... It is such a rich background that I think if you had just done a basic tabletop, really basic set of rules, I don't think it would have fit. Um, and I clearly the people right. at Modiphius have put a lot of time in to capture the essence of Fallout. That 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 idea that you get you find armor, you over time you use it and then it degrades and you have to replace it. Um, yep. Or you up, up upgrade your character slowly over time through stats that you can take substances. Um, you can drink bourbon, uh, and then there's a a boost and a negative in the game simultaneously. But then at, over the course of the game, it wears off. Um, so, or you can get a, you get addicted to jet. <laughs> exactly. Nothing like hard narcotics in your tabletop war games, kids. Um, but I mean, there's monsters. There's um, 
there's just so much. But I guess the big thing I want to start with here is this is a tabletop skirmishy kind of game. But unlike a lot of the games where it's always one player versus one player, this is a really unique game in that you can play it player v player. You can play it groups right. of players. Or you can play, um, there's an AI system built in. So you can play it by yourself or right. you can play cooperatively. And it's a good AI system. And the game is written so that you can play it easily either way. Um, now, Craig, you've played this, as you said, what, 15 times, something like that, 12 to 15 times. How yeah, do you find the AI system? Because you've played it both ways quite a few times. Right. So, so like, like you said, there's like, there's almost like three ways to play. You can play me against you or me and you on a team or me against just, just me mm -hmm. against the rules and the, the me against you. If you're doing like this with, with settlements, you could, I mean, you could either do it as like, you know, like just a traditional Warhammer style game, me mm -hmm. against you, we build our points and we go home and there's none of that. You could also play it like you're playing Mordeheim or Necromunda where you have mm -hmm. a campaign where it's me against you, but we also have this settlement management where it helps us out in the next games kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But then I think where the game really shines and really does well is the co-op version where it's you and a friend or friends against the rules or solo play where it's, me against the rules. Um, there's a very unique AI system with cards, with actions and priorities and randomization of what actions individual figures do. And that random actions are, are geared towards the individual models to help them f act and feel like you would see in the video game. That's so awesome. a, a super mutant brute behaves differently than a regular super mutant or a super mutant hound. You know, and and their way they re react in the game randomly, and then as they degrade over time and they take wounds, they respond differently. Um, gives a gives a feel that you don't get from a lot of other games or AI systems, mm -hmm. and allows for a narrative version of the game that's unpredictable and allows you to play by yourself. I probably played half of my games solo and half of my games um, co-op. And when I say co-op, it's it's been, I have uh, two or three buddies of mine come over and um, I actually end up running the AI as like a, almost like a game master or oh, a dungeon cool. master mm -hmm. and I'll run them so they don't have to manage it, but I still play with all the AI rules. So they're not playing against me. I'm just rolling the dice and managing them much like I would do as a dungeon master um, um, in making in, in making those decisions and telling the story for them. Um, I've also, I have a five-year or four-and-a-half-year-old, mm -hmm. and I've played and had my kid help me, like, play the games. And I'm like, all right, roll. I'll say, all right, you roll the dice to see what this guy does. And he rolls the dice. Like, okay, he's going to shoot. And so we go through the, the, the rules and the priority charting to see who's going to shoot. I'm like, okay, so you rolled shoot. And this guy's going to shoot at this target over here. So then I'll have my kid, I'll, I'll tell him, like, all right, you need to roll a yellow dice, a green dice, and a white dice. And he rolls them. And then he tells me what the symbols are. And then we resolve the attack. Because um, it's all, it's you know, it's custom dice with custom symbols in this game. And it's actually, he he enjoys playing it. And he helps me set up the boards. And we play awesome. together. Like It's like one of the first like miniatures games I've played with my son. And it's it's been super accessible for him to be able to sit down and do it with me because the rules work so well for that. And so you you know you 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 play these games and you you when I have the other players over, we break the figures up for the mission or the scenario, and then we play through it. 
we've played through it and the rules kind of take care of themselves as far as the AI goes to help tell that story. Um, and to tell that narrative. And like I said, it ends up being a very like role play light. Um, it's very, very similar to, I would say the, the, I played a little bit of the Imperial Assault because in Imperial Assault, you play through the missions. Mm-hmm. And then when you're done with the missions, you have this like rebel base phase, right? Where like you get your new mission, you do some other side stuff that's like not like the full on immersive game. It's like a side game. Um, and then the settlement phase is, is like that, where you're finding, you're getting perks, you're getting boosts, you're managing your settlement, you're building things. You're getting side quests, and then you decide what your new mission is, and you try to loop it into whatever you're doing as far as the the story goes. So maybe you want to, you know, you 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 as the game master say, well, there's a group of uh, traders that come along, and they want you to escort them through hostile territory or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, where there's known raider attacks or super mutant attacks, and then you kind of play a little scenario out that tells that story. Um, you know, and the, the one thing that I, I want to start doing is like linked scenarios where you're, you play like two or three missions in a row before you go back to your settlement and do anything. And so you have to like manage your, your goods and, and, and collect things on the, in the wasteland and hold on to them and be Mm -hmm. more strategic about using them. So you're not just like, Oh, there's just this mission that we're going back to the settlement and then we'll just restock. It's like, no, I have to like really think about, do I want to use this item now or use it later because I have two or three more missions to do. And so it's, it's, it's very, um, it's a very refreshing set of rules in that respect that it's new yeah. You and know? that and that absolutely fits how the video game works. Like you can't just walk up. I mean, you, you can't just, you know, go from a settlement or wherever you have like a little uh, base in the video game. If we're talking Fallout 4, you can't just magically appear at a location. You have to get to it. Now, once you've explored enough of the world, yes, you can fast travel and yes, you can fast travel back, but I like that I like the narrative aspect of playing the Fallout video game. I really like to role play it i try not to fast travel too much so it's i need to get to this location and along the way you have you know literally three five six seven depending on which way you go or how far encounters and then you go through this you know through the through whatever the mission was or the side quest or the quest or whatever but then you have to get back and i often find you know it's on the way back when you you know you're overladen with stuff and you have just enough you're holding just enough so you don't right. slow down, but you don't want to lose your stuff and you're going, oh, I just need to make it back. I don't want to die. Um, and if you're playing survival mode, exactly, it feels exactly like that. But if you could play that with this game, I think that would be amazing. Oh, too. yeah. You could totally, you could totally like build your own like map that you need to explore with different settlements and towns and raider gangs and groups involved and then mm-hmm. have like i i want to i want to go i have this mission they're sending me to this part of the map and then create your own chart based on how dangerous the area is to have like random encounters with creatures along the way much like you would do in dungeons and dragons like if you were okay i'm traveling from water deep up and up to this other area and you're a dungeon master and you roll for a random encounter, you could easily build that into this game where you have to interact with this random encounter before you get to your actual mission goal mm-hmm. to, you know, to, you know, in D and D like I, I, I DM a current D and D group and it's like you, there's like this element of the game where you, you have to like kind of put challenges out there for your players to where, 
they're not just at full strength when they finally get to the big boss or get to the end of the mission, right? right. You have to kind of deplete their hit points and make them use up resources and things like that. And exactly. it forces the players to role play long-term planning and, and resource management over the course of several missions. And you could easily do that, do that in this game. The mm-hmm. other thing that's great about this game is it's, it, with the way the exploration works in the game as far as searching items and the random encounters go it makes it very easy for you to not have to as a dungeon master or as the game master plan out all this stuff like when you homebrew like a role-playing game if you don't have like a book that you're reading out of Mm -hmm. you know you it's up to you to be like well where where are the items to search for and if they search for the items what do they find and what are the random traps and what is this and what is that in this in fallout wasteland warfare there's all these random tokens that come in the box as far as searchable items go and you could just say as a as a player group like look we're on this board there's this old dilapidated garage and we're trying to find um we're trying to find food or water, or we heard that there's like a, a generator in this area and we need to go secure it and bring it back to our settlement. Mm-hmm. And we're going to put 10 random, 10 random items out on the board that are at least a certain distance apart from each other. And you pick them at random and, and maybe like three of them are trapped and two of them are nothing. And the other ones have items, you know, and then you have your item deck and you randomly determine what they are. Maybe you find an old fan and a shopping cart. And then maybe in another one, you find some food and another one you find some jet and another one you find a revolver and maybe you find some power armor or whatever that might be mm-hmm. and so the the game itself kind of takes care of uh, a lot of the planning that you might have to do if you were playing a traditional role-playing game where you had a homebrew rule totally yeah and i like the way how if you wanted to do if you wanted the game to feel fallout e um because of the way the ai works and how literally every model in the game be it even the lone survivor the you know, the the protagonist in the video game to a death claw to a, any super mutant you can other than the death claw you can use those as player models or any model can be an npc so you could literally have your models come on the board and there'll be a battle between you know minutemen and the super mutants already going on in the middle of the tabletop that the ai right. is running and you guys kind of have to get through to get to where you need to go or to find, Correct. you know, find that generator in the garage. And I think that's right. Awesome. You could, you could totally, you could totally do that. And you just, there's rules in there for like writing, basically saying like, like that help guide the AI in its decision where you set an objective and it tells you, it tells you like, these are the different types of objectives. So if you're writing an objective for a side, like maybe it's like for the minute and defeat the super mutants for the mm-hmm. super mutants, it's to, um, attack and destroy any humans in the area right and so it it dic- it'll help you determine how the ai responds by writing those objectives and you could totally have that where you walk into a fight fight already occurring exactly. i want to backtrack a little bit because yeah, i think you, you said something there that i think uh, i think is worth clarifying you said that other than the death claw everything's playable you could play a death claw oh can in you this game you could totally play a death claw. You could be you could be like, I want to play Fallout from the perspective of a death claw. Maybe it's one of the death claws from from the video game world that's like super intelligent, mm-hmm. right? And he's like going out, he's wandering out from the vault and 
and exploring the world to so he he's the vault dweller right he's yeah. who's leaving to like find food or find objects and he just or he maybe he's got like his his nest or his tribe or his group of his pack of death claws and he's going out to defeat the super mutants that are threatening their existence you could totally play a death claw in this awesome. game and your whole story could be from the perspective of a death claw trying to survive in the wasteland who's like oh man these more humans are coming through and they're threatening, you know, they're threatening our species or whatever. Because mm-hmm. you can play, you can play all the creatures. You could, in the, in the player versus player mode, you could play, uh, a fa- your faction could be creatures, right? Oh, cool. So you could play your a nest faction, of ghouls. You could play a nest of ghouls. You could play a bunch of Mirelurks. You could play, oh, awesome. um, you could play rad. You could just be like, I'm an, I'm a, a faction of rad roaches, mm-hmm. you know, and, <laughs> nice. play, and play those or, or rad scorpions. Um, you know, in the in the starter set, they give you that um, alien, right? The mm-hmm. alien model. You could play like your sole survivor is the alien whose spaceship crashed and you're trying to like, you could play a little story where it's like, I have to go out and find the parts for to fix my ship so I can get off this 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 radioactive wasteland planet amazing and so you're going through and you're fighting survivors or you're fighting the brotherhood of steel or you're fighting fighting off creatures as the alien you could do that you could it's so open source i think a lot of people get the game from you know and this is just anecdotally from what i see online a lot of Mm -hmm. people get the game and they want to play the sole survivor they want to be the sole survivor and 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 it seems like a lot of people are playing from the perspective at least when it comes to the narrative play when it's the player versus player you know people are playing whatever they want but you could take on any of the figures in the game you as the player could take on the role of that figure and play out a little story or campaign from that creature or character or model's perspective that's and so you're not limited much like in the real fallout world where it's like very open world and you can do basically whatever you want you can do that in this game and tell that story yeah i did notice that there is and with this game, there are a lot of cards. Um, so I think that's how the game really shines. Um, it can be a little intimidating when you pull out all your cards for the first time, but every model has its own card, much like, I don't know, like um, like a Malifaux or like uh, Star Wars Legion, where you have cards and you're not constantly flipping through books because it's all based on the cards. Yeah. But then each weapon or each item that they use, be it a bit of armor um, be it a web, uh, sorry, um, like uh, something you can take, like jet. Um, everything is a card, um, and so it, right. it links up to who has what. But one of the cards is called heroic, and that's the, and you can have up to none, sorry, none to up to all of your party group, whatever you want to call it, um, be heroic. And heroic sort of boosts the stats and makes the, it um, the non-NPC right. version, if you want to play the lone survivor out of the video game, you can take the lone survivor, because there's two versions of the lone survivor, the one that's fresh out of the vault, and then there's the more experienced one. You take the more experienced right. one, you throw heroic on it, and Bob's your uncle. You're ready to play. Yeah, you're one-man army then. Yeah, exactly. But if <laughs> you wanted to the, throw the that... The heroic gives you luck, yeah. it gives you extra mm-hmm. wounds, and it gives you vats. Exactly. So then you can actually play as the video game but you could take the heroic and i was noticing um that you could put it on dog meat and so it's like oh yeah you could you could be dog meat and that's awesome you can put heroic on any model on any of the models in the game if you wanted to put heroic on it you could do that you can put i think you can put 
well, whether the rules say you can do it or not, you can be, you can put the leader cards and the upgrade cards on any model you want to tell your story. You know, there are a lot of cards. There are a lot of tokens and chits. It is a, it is one of those games that is very component heavy. Yes. Um, it's, it's kind of necessary to track everything that's going on. Cause it's, if you don't, cause I've tried to be like, ah, this is a little heavy. I don't want to use these elements cause it's a lot of things to keep track of. Um, it, you'll lose track of what's going on. So you do need to like, if you're going to play the game, you need to be very organized. Like I got, um, you know, those little tackle boxes that you use for, I'm holding one gaming, right now. Gaming world. Yep. You, you use, you use them to organize all your board game mm-hmm. pieces and all your miniature game pieces. Um, I got a really deep one. I found at a craft store and it's for like storing like beads and whatever doodads you do when you craft it's deeper. And so it was perfect for the cards because I organized all of my, um, cards in there by type so all my pistols are in one all my rifles are in one all my heavy weapons are in one all my creature cards are in one my stranger cards my boosts everything is broken up into a different slot so it's easy to find and access instead of having ziploc baggies that you have to then go through and cycle through Mm -hmm. Um, it makes it a lot easier and when we build our wasteland deck for like items so say we have 10 tokens on the car on the the board for that can be explored for items we just randomly pull 10 items out of the item deck from the different stacks and throw them together and that's what's on the board nice um and and so you want to be really organized it's super important but at, at the same time like you it can be a little overwhelming but a lot of the tokens never come into play as yeah. well because it's like it's specific for a one type of weapon where you need to track a certain type of damage well that weapon might not even be on the board right yeah you know so so that is that is one thing you you have to be um aware of i've also um in the ai scenarios in the game they give a lot of the ai um like extra cards and stuff as you learn the rules so that you can stay on top of that those things oh cool um, and kind of like do an intro I've gotten to the point where when we play, because that can be a little overwhelming and a little bit much to track when it's, especially if it's just you against the game. Cause you're like, Oh my God, I've got four different types of AI monsters or characters. And each one of them has three or four cards. And mm-hmm. I can't remember it gets to be a little too much when you're also tracking like your four or five characters with all their cards. And yeah. so what I do is I just pare down the items and just, put more monsters out there or put more super mutants out there to make it more challenging. Yeah. Um, I'd rather do that and have like just more things to kill or more things that's shooting at me as opposed to have to remember, well, this super mutant can heal itself because it has a stim pack and yeah, this right. one has this and this one has that. It's like, no, I just need more super mutants out there to fight. Totally. Yeah. I want to, I want all the cool stuff to be on my guys, you know? And so that's one thing I'd recommend for people um, that are, idea. that are trying to be more narrative. It just helps. It helps with the management. If you're doing just you against the rules. Um, if, if you have a, like the way I've, I envision playing this with my group long-term uh, my group of friends is to have my friends over and for me to game master it yeah. and for them to be to them, to take over the group of survivors or the group of characters and play the game. In that case, when you have someone who's dedicated to their sole purpose on game night is to manage the AI, not necessarily even play the AI as if it's their own faction, but manage the AI itself, then having those items becomes a lot more manageable. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why I'd recommend, like, if you're playing in a group of friends and where it's co-op is having someone whose sole job that night is to is to play the AI characters. And maybe when you and your group of friends, you decide to rotate that you know, who's responsible for that, um, at any given moment. And then the other players take over the survivors 
or the, the player characters, as it were, as you're doing your missions. Yeah. Um, it just helps with game flow and helps with speeding things up and making sure things don't get bogged down. Totally. Um, so, yeah. But I like, and I, I did want to touch on this. I like how, and I, I may have mentioned this, but so if I'm holding two cards in my hand, I'm holding a suicide or super mutant, um, and I'm holding Barry Mentats, which is a drug, which is an item. Now, the way that it works is if you are on your models, as you're talking about, you know, keeping track of stuff, the, if you take this item, it, the card itself looks like it has just like a number of squares with some pluses or minuses or little rules written next to it, but there's no labels on it. You go, well, how does that work? Well, it actually lines up with the, pl- with the card of the character that's using that item. And so right. all of a sudden, by lining it up, I can see that Barry Mentats gives my super mutant uh, suicider plus one perception, plus one intelligence, and the rule to charge without line of sight. And that's in turn one. Turn two, all of a sudden it loses the ability to charge without line of sight, but it still has the other pluses. And then turn three, still plus one intelligent, but you lose the perception. But then what's really clever is if, because it's a drug, if you fail the roll and become addicted to it, the card flips over and there's a different color set of boxes that then shows you the negatives that you suffer for your perception and charisma because you are addicted to this drug and you need to get over your addiction. I think that is a really clever way of tracking that because if you just have it next to it, you might go, wait, what turn are we on? Wait, what is the plus or negative? But by having this sort of sliding tracker, I think it's a really right. and it slides right yeah. underneath your character card. It's That's so really easy slick. to see. Yeah. Well, oh. and the power armor is the same way. And I really like that. Like yeah. there's, there's like a full version of the power armor. And once it's been, once it, it's been damaged so much, it becomes degraded. Mm-hmm. And so it's not as good, but you still get a little bit of a bonus from it. And I, that's, it's so slick in the game because it's like, and it has a feel just like in fallout when you're playing the video games that you get this suit of power armor and as as you take damage and it gets beat up, it's n- it's not as effective um, at at defending you or protecting you or giving you extra strength or extra endurance or agility or whatever it might be. You actually feel in game terms the armor degrading and falling apart over time, and so it gives that role playing feel and it gives a very simple mechanic for you to track it um, yeah. and and to be able to play. So. Yeah, I love it. It's it. The, I mean, it really does feel like Fallout in a way that I right. I desperately wanted in a game. As a huge fan of the Fallout games, um, I just think this game feels right. So let's let's talk a little right. bit about how. So the weapons work similarly, where you have a weapon that you add to the card as well. Um, can you talk a little bit about how the weapons work? Because um, though every model comes with a weapon, that isn't necessarily the the weapon that they will have on the tabletop. Right. So on the cards, there's like this basically like the starting package, as it were, the mm-hmm. out of the box like like build, and that's really useful for. Um, for when you're doing like the the you versus the AI and you're trying to come up with things, there's no points on anything. It's like this is a super mutant. A regular right. super mutant comes armed with these items out of the box. And it, it's very nice for like quick planning, like, oh, we're gonna go on this mission. Okay, so what do we wanna do? We're gonna go here 
and we're going to face a bunch of super mutants. So we're going to grab a couple different super mutant cards. And these are the items we have. We don't have to think about it. It's built into it. Because otherwise, there, there's a point system that they have online. And mm-hmm. they think they're doing it online so that you don't have, like, they can update points for balance and things. Exactly. But, you know, if you if you come from a D&D world or RPG world, you know that points mean nothing. It's more about, like, telling the story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that story element. Like, when I DM, it's like, I don't really look at challenge ratings right in the in the monster manual it's just like my i know my players can handle about this much fight and any you know over the course of a night and i have to take that in consideration you can totally do that with the cards in this game so the the weapons and the equipment come built in now if you want to give them extra stuff you can do that like like if you want to make a guy buffer or make them you know, tell us like maybe you have a bunch of raiders and you want to um, you want to uh, fight in an area that's heavily irradiated. Um, you know, um, you could give them uh, hazmat suits, right, to mm-hmm. to kind of account for that, so they don't just like die out outright. Um, and so you get the weapons, and the weapons have uh, either one or two different ranges. There's like a close range and a long range, or mm-hmm. a, a, you know, a regular range and a long range. You know, some weapons are all short range, like most of the pistols, right? They're only short range. Um, But a lot of the rifles and heavier weapons have a longer range. And they function differently at those different ranges. Um, And the dice in the game, there's there's like, you have your regular attack dice, which is just what, you know, your dice to hit. But then there's a set of dice that are are your boost dice that kind of give all the weapons their flavor. And there's there's a dice that does more damage, right? It's the I think it's the black dice, and it it's the dice that that represents like a weapon that does more damage. Mm-hmm. And then there's a dice that represents a weapon that is more accurate. And then there's a dice that wep- represents a weapon that is better at breaking armor. Mm-hmm. And so depending on the range the weapon will tell you what combination of those dice you need to use. So, for example, I think it's the combat shotgun. At close range, it's like two black dice. So it doesn't, it doesn't pierce armor. It's not more accurate. But if you hit, you're going you're you're yeah. to do all the damage. You're right? mess you're, someone you're, up. Yeah. I, I hit someone in a game the other day, and I think the base attack was two damage, and I rolled an additional four damage on a person. I mean, you Ooh. just like... You go full like Terminator, like mm-hmm. shotgun to the head, like just boom, blow them apart, you know. But then like the hunting rifle might be more accurate at long range, and then at closer range it it damage or it's better at breaking armor, I believe. So there's those elements to it. So you roll your dice to see what happens, and if you you hit, you score your I believe it's your your target number or mm-hmm. lower to hit. You take you add up what your what your special abilities you got from that dice, you know. So if it's more accurate, it, it adjusts your number that you need to hit and makes your your total dice value lower, so you're more likely to hit. If you break more armor, you're more likely to crack the armor that's there. And then you compare that to the the characters or your target's armor value. And there's three different armor values in the game. There's like regular old physical damage from like traditional bullets right and then there's energy damage that would be you know like laser weapons and then there's radiation damage as well mm-hmm. so and then the target without radiation oh yeah and there you can you can do a lot of interesting and cool things with radiation it, it you know it, it uh it basically becomes hazardous terrain a lot of times like i've made these little like irradiated barrels and i want to do like yeah. a 
um, like get a nuclear bomb that's like undetonated or a big pile of barrels. Mm-hmm. And if you walk into the, you can walk into those areas, but there's a chance you could take radiation damage. Yeah. Uh, most of the laser weapons, there's a uh, or the energy weapons, there's a chance you could catch on fire after being shot. Mm-hmm. You know. And so then you then you make your save, and the saves are really interesting. You take whatever the target's final armor value is. And you have to roll equal to or less than that armor value to get an armor save. Mm-hmm. But you only save, you only save or block as many damage as you roll on the dice. So if you say have an armor of three, right, mm-hmm. and you roll two, you would get an armor save, but you would only block two damage that were coming in, not all three. Oh, okay. Even though your armor is three. Got now, it. if you rolled a four, you wouldn't block any. And your and all of it would go in. Okay, that makes sense. If you so so it it kind of it kind of acts as like a, a mechanism for determining okay your armor's blocked but how well did it block exactly and then there's also what's called strong armor which is like a like a kind of an auto an auto save. Um, it, you'll see it on like the the. Um, the power armor cards, it'll say like three plus one or something like that. And it basically gives you like one auto armor. And then (laughs) there's like a temporary armor too, which, which is like a lighter form of armor that automatically degrades. And, um, um, it gives you like free saves as well. Okay. Well, one of the things I've noticed when we're looking at these cards is, that, um, you know, when you're looking at weapons in particular, there's a huge number of symbols on each one. And that is, you know, as someone who hasn't played the game yet, that can be a little intimidating. I do like, though, that if you look in the back of the rule book, there is a, an entire page um, of symbols and what it means and where you can find the rules for it. So there's a quick summary of the markers, and then there's an index of the icons. So if you look at it, you go, oh, I'm not really sure what that is. It tells you exactly what page to go to. Uh, it is super handy. Um, just from trying to figure out what things do and then look at things, it's amazing. And though it's a little intimidating to look at it first, um, it, I mean, just flipping through and looking at cards and what weapons do what at what range, it really creates each weapon has a distinct flavor. It's not like, oh, this is yep. a little different from this one. Every weapon is completely different and does its own thing, which is really cool. Now, I, again, I haven't played the game, but do you find that that's clunky or do you really like the fact that it gives you that variety? It is so the symbols on the cards and stuff can be a little bit of a mountain to overcome at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just part of the whole like um, token heavy being a token component heavy game. Mm-hmm. But it, you know, so many games do that now, right? Yeah. Like so many games are component heavy and token and symbol heavy mm-hmm. because it's a lot easier to do that on a card, especially with cards. Cause you need to save space. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to print like a rule book that's 300 pages long. Um, so a lot of games do that. And so if you've been playing a lot of those games, like especially if you play a lot of fantasy flight games or have played a lot of fantasy oh, yeah. flight games, um, it, it it's kind of like muscle memory. Like you you get into it and you takes over and then you start learning it. Um, that resource in the back of the book is perfect. Yeah. It'll point you right to the page, or it'll remind you what you need to do. And a lot of stuff is simple. I find the the hardest is when it's like 
there's like four or five symbols just all next to each other. And you're like, I, I don't know how to read this hieroglyph. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> you're like, it's like learning a new language. Yeah, exactly. You right. know? So you, 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 you kind of have to get used to that. There's a couple of the cards are a little like some of the event cards. I had a problem. I think it was with the uh, lightning storm mm-hmm. and a couple of the weapon cards. I think there might be some misprints, which makes it even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it can be a bit much when there's like three or four, four symbols, 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 symbols in a row. But what I found is I, I just take the card and go to the Facebook page and post it up. I say, what does this mean? And within two or three minutes, someone's like, it means this. Yeah, right. And then you're like, oh, and then and then the, the like four or five other cards that might be in like the deck or two or three other cards that are similar to that. You pick it up and you go, oh, I know what this means. Mm-hmm. This means this. Yeah. So, so th- that can be a bit much, but like I said, w- at this point, we're so used to these component-heavy games and symbol-heavy games that, you know, I, I think probably by – so I, what I did is I sat down before I played with anyone else because I wanted to know the rules yeah. really well to be able to, to teach them. Um, and especially because I know, like, my group of buddies, they weren't going to go by the starter set and read the rules of their own. I had to be able to explain it. Mm-hmm. I played through all five of the AI missions by myself. Yeah, And the first like two or three missions, I had a bunch of those kind of questions that came up, but by the end, I really didn't have any of those questions left anymore. And it was, it was, it was like muscle memory knew what, knew what the symbols meant. Um, but yeah, that is a little bit of a curb. So the two things I'd recommend to people so far, at least is, is you want to read the rules, familiarize yourselves with the symbols that can be a little steep. Just be prepared for that. And then it's the the organizing all the components. You have to be organized. You have to have those little like um, tackle box, like clear mm-hmm. plastic organizers where you put your, you have your cards and your dice and your, your components. I'd also recommend, especially if you're going to play with um, other people as a co-op is getting a second set of dice. Yeah. Um, it, like, like we tried playing, just out of the box we played with just like the one set and it was a it, it you know the sharing was just it was a kind of a pain in the butt yeah um but even i would say even if you're just playing by yourself getting a second set of dice is really helpful because you're walking around your table and you can spend a lot of time walking to the other side because you forgot your dice on the other yep. side of the table so i i like to have two there's two sets of me, um, of the measuring devices in the that come in the core box which is fantastic because cool. most games would only give you one right um but I like to take a set of the dice and a set of the measuring devices and put them on both sides of the table. And then I'm always within like arm's reach to grab something because if you're playing by yourself, you're kind of going back and forth. You're walking around the table to look at the cards and it just helps expedite gameplay. So you're not just like feeling like you're doing laps around your dining room table all night. Yeah. Although some of us could probably use that exercise. So <laughs> what do you mean? One of the other things I really noticed about this game that, so when I open new games, and I am sure a lot of you who are listening will uh, have a similar experience, it's like when you buy furniture sometimes or you buy a toy when you were a kid and you look at the directions and then immediately throw it over your shoulder and move on with life. Um, This is not a game because it comes with a getting acclimated booklet just one of those little tiny thin booklets that tells you how to play the game and there's four mini tutorials i like how it absolutely feels like the mini tutorials that the fallout video game runs you through i mean literally the way it works both what you're doing and how it prepares you for the game 
Um, this yeah, one, I think, it's, it's, yeah, it's I'm the doing tutorial. These. It's the tutorial mission in every video game you've ever played. Yeah. Right. Like this is how you, this is where your, you, this is where your keys go. This is how you open doors. This is how you move. This is how you shoot. This is how you jump. You mm-hmm. know, the, the intro tutorial for every video game. That's that there's, there's a ton of missions in that book too. Like yes. or in, in between all the rules. That's one of the things that's really nice. Like, like I said, it's this role-playing light where it takes a lot of the planning out of it. Mm-hmm. So it's like you get those five intro missions that teach you how to play. And then there's five AI missions. And then there's like battle mode missions and some other missions. There's like I think there's like 20 missions in the box set itself. Yeah, so good. And then, and then every single expansion set has a mission. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it has unique objectives. And I, don't, I would recommend that people don't, don't look at those and feel like, Oh, I have to because this mission is came in the Brotherhood of Steel box. It's only a Brotherhood of Steel mission, right? Right, like like I think the the Brotherhood of Steel box that has four miniatures. It's like there's there's a defending like a radio tower. Anyone could be defending that radio tower. Mm-hmm. It might not even be a radio tower. It's basically like this is the mission you play when you want to attack like a single building or a single object. Totally, and it kind of kind of helps you do that. So if you're like with your friends or by yourself or telling a story and you need help like coming up with ideas so you don't have to plan everything from scratch. Mm-hmm. There's lots and lots of missions that kind of give you the feel for different tasks or things you might be doing. Yeah, um, yeah man. I love that there are so many missions and they give you, depending on how you want to play, there are, if you want to play co-op, if you want to play the AI, or if there's, there's even a set of quote unquote tutorial missions that are beyond the ones in that beginner book that are actually more full size games. I think those are the ones mm-hmm. you were talking about a second ago, but then there are AI yep. missions on top of that. So you actually get a, a variety of missions depending on how you want to be playing the game. But as you say, with a lot of these, you don't even need a mission so much as, you know, it's it's really easy to sort of narratively set these things up, but it is a great place to start if you're getting your sea legs about the game. So tell us about, I know a lot of people have had questions, including myself, about roughly when you play this, and I know there's different point levels and different missions have different requirements, but ballpark, how many models do you have per side? I know their super mutants are more expensive, for example, point-wise than basic settlers. But what are we talking model count-wise and board size-wise? What sort of what sort of resources are we going to be throwing down on the tabletop? So resources-wise, the, all the games I've played, I've played on a three-by-three. Three. Okay. Um, you could play larger or smaller, yeah. depending on what your mission is. I think you could even, like... Like I want to do like a, a like a vault dive or a cave dive or something oh, along yeah. those lines, and I was gonna pull all my space Hulk like tiles out Hell from yeah. over the years, mm-hmm. and like build like an underground like with rooms and hallways and things like that. I've got all sorts of that kind of stuff, so you could play with like you could play with those kind of components as well, mm-hmm. um, and just you know decide on how big you want. I think it scales very very well in that regards. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, you'll need enough terrain to to fill a table. I would say if you've ever played like Infinity, um, it probably it, it works better with more terrain like Infinity does. Okay. And not because it's like Infinity's like very like you want to sneak and hide and this and that. It looks better and it feels better when you have lots of stuff instead of like the pool table look. Yeah. Um and so like I don't know, what am I I'm running probably you know, three to six, like medium, 
medium items. I'm talking like um, big piles of junk, mm-hmm. um, Connexes, cars, stuff of that size that are roughly like maybe like two or three inches by five to seven inches yeah. kind of size things. I like to run about about six of those, I'd say. Maybe one or two large items like a building, although you could, you could definitely do more. Yeah. Um, but like one or two, maybe three large buildings or larger items like a hill or a bunker or whatever that might be. Um, and then uh, probably eight to 12 small scatter terrain items mm-hmm. to, to throw out there. And one of the things I like to do is I'd like to take my scatter terrain and like, just because I like it, I like the feel of it. I'll take those search markers that come in the box mm-hmm. and I'll actually put the search marker on top of like a piece of scatter terrain. Mm-hmm. And then when we place those search markers, that's where scatter train ends up so like i've got like washing machines and dryers and refrigerators and mm-hmm. old luggage and things like that and so it 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 looks more narrative like oh i'm not just searching this token the token is on top of a old wardrobe and it's like i'm searching the wardrobe yeah. does that make sense yeah totally so that seems to be the to me that's the right kind of balance of terrain um that i found as far as models go um you know, we've been playing either me or with my group. We end up with four to four to six models. Mm-hmm. Yeah, four to six models on the survivor side or the the player side that, that we've been controlling seems to be a good balance. It's it's kind of like if you're playing if you're if you're in control of the sole survivor as a player, that's probably good enough for the game. Everyone else who's playing just like settlers probably needs two models to control. And that's because stuff does die and you don't want to be the guy who's like model dies like 10 minutes into an hour long gaming session. And then you're twiddling your thumbs doing nothing. Mm -hmm. So I find that's a good, a good balance for um, player engagement. And then on the other side, it kind of depends on what you're, what you're um, facing and what your missions and goals are. You know, it seems like a lot of the games, as far as the super mutants go with your, if you're you're playing that like four to six survivors, the super mutants have roughly the same number of models between mm-hmm. the super mutants, the brutes, the aviators, and the and the the mutant hounds. Um, so roughly the same number. I've kind of like they don't have the rules out for raiders yet, so I've kind of like toyed with rules, and I like to have like the the quantity as a quality feel with the raiders, mm-hmm. and so we've been throwing like seven to 10 Raiders out on the board for those Raider, the games with the Raider Raiders that I'm using. And, um, but they have much weaker stats. They die easier. They're not as good. And so it's kind of swarmy and it's fun because you're just like shooting stuff down constantly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, so yeah, those, that seems to be like the kind of the space and then the terrain and then the model count. I know I listened to some interviews and other podcasts with the developers and and their thought is like you could have anywhere from one to like upwards of twenty models on the board, depending on like point size and balance. Once the mm-hmm. lets a lot of the rules come out um, for a lot of the things, you know, imagine if you're running like a creature build and you've got a lot of rad roaches or something like that, mm-hmm. you're going to have a lot a lot more models to play. Yeah, um, but the way it works, it's it's um, it, management of those models is actually quite easy because you have you have unique units and then you have regular units in the game mm-hmm. and. Unique units are like named characters, like the Soul Survivor or the Aviator, or, or you know Preston Jar Garvey, and you know all those guys. They're unique, and they're their own card. They have their own equipment, and then there's regular units, which are like your Minutemen, your Settlers, mm-hmm. and all you need is the one card 
and ev- and then you you arm them with their stuff, and everyone's armed the same. You don't have to be like, oh my god, I have to track what every single oh, settler cool. has. You don't have to track what every single raider has. You have like a group of them. You say there's a group of raiders that all have pipe rifles mm-hmm. and um, and um, a, a board, right? That's and that's cool. all they all have that. And then if you have any specialty like limited use items, and say they have like like. Uh, like a, a, jet, a thing of jet, right, mm-hmm. or a stim pack. Anyone in that unit can use that item, but once that item's used, it's gone, right? Cool. Okay, and so they don't have to. Sense. They yeah. don't have to be within like a certain distance of each other to share the item. They just are considered like as a unit. It's kind of the bonus to having like the weak little minion characters is that mm-hmm. they can share items free these these limited use items freely. That's cool. But they can also share it with the unique characters. You just have to be with the unique character has to be so close to one of the models from that unit. So it's not like there's no sharing at all for the unique the 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 mm-hmm. unique guys. Um, and so it, it, it makes it very manageable. I, like when I first got it, I was like, there's only one settler card in the box, but there's two settler models. Am I missing a settler card? Like how right. am I supposed to track his crap and his stuff and, and all these things? Like, how am I supposed to do this? And then I like checked in the rules like, Oh, there's only one card in there because you only mm-hmm. need one card because all your settlers are represented with that one guy. Now, yeah. sometimes you might like need to, you maybe you have two different groups of super mutants that you want to run and one has a board and a pipe rifle and the other one has something else, but whatever, whatever you might arm them with, mm-hmm. maybe figured out how to use an assault rifle or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, you know, so you got to keep that in mind as well. Um, but it, that does make it management of the game a lot easier. Yeah. Um, management of the cards a lot easier because it's like, this is my minion group. I mean, that's the best mm-hmm. way to think about it is like, I have my minions and I have my heroes and the minions are all generic we all have the same stuff right yeah that makes a lot more sense and that also makes all make managing you know cards and weapons and all of that a lot easier because you don't have to know the weapons on 10 different writers if you know six of them are armed exactly the same with a pipe rifle um once you've memorized the pipe rifle what that does um or which version that is then it's easy yep cool all right that makes a lot of sense i missed that when i read the rules and i'm glad that's there that really does feel like it would speed things up yeah no i missed it too the first time i played and i was like i'm so confused what like this is so hard and i was like oh no it's way easier i'm just a dummy (laughs) (laughs) well i'm the same dummy because i missed it too so there you go uh oh cool right on well okay so it doesn't sound like you need a lot. Uh, so the the core game comes with um, what five humans? Um, you have the settler. We so we have two settlers. We have the lone survivor. We have some sort of techno thrall guy and dog meat. Um, you also have a guy in power armor. The core game comes with a death claw. Comes with three super mutants and then two super mutant hounds. And depending on which version of the game you get, you could also end up with a um, crashed alien which is you know one of those easter eggs in um fallout 4 which i thought was an interesting given how rare he is in the video game um you know i've played the video game countless hours and i've run across everything in the core set except i've only vaguely heard of the alien existing um is funny that they've given you the model for that guy but um, so given what's in the box though, you can absolutely play a lot of different versions of this game. Oh yeah. And you can play right out of the box and have, you know, the starter box, you know, 
if, if you're clued into to the, the game right now, you're probably, most people are probably aware that they're having like production issues mm. with bottlenecking and supply issues, but you can definitely get the starter box and out of the box play lots of different missions with lots of variety mm-hmm. and lots of different games with the models that are just in the box. And there's enough stuff that's still available out there while they restock and, and deal with that production issue that you can get, you can get other models and add flavor into the game um, mm-hmm. to get more diversity and more, more options available. But yeah, there's lots and lots of things that you can do with that box. Yeah. I've, I'm absolutely a fan of ghouls, for example, in the fallout universe i love hunting them down and i think they're scary and you know it's cool uh, they're just one of my favorite units and or um mod- model type monster in the game and so uh, i really wanted to put ghouls on the tabletop and you know ghouls are one of those things that because of the production issues um you know they, they've just been sold out forever like you've never been able to get them unless you pre-order them through the company directly. And even then their comp- their web store is always sold out of them. Um, but I was able to get the AI cards and the stat cards for the ghouls um, through the Facebook group. And, and, and then, so you're using your zombie side models. Exactly. So. Well, I'm actually yep. using uh, Mantic zombies and they look exactly like feral ghouls. Oh yeah. And it's, oh, it's yeah. a no, perfect I, match. As soon as, as soon as I get those AI cards for ghouls, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm zombie hoarding it basically yeah. with them. and I'm, I'm i've got lots of zombie models that i'll be using to represent feral ghouls and lots of missions and scenarios i see in my future where because you can't you, I mean, let's be honest you can't have a post-apocalyptic game without zombie horde at some right? point some yeah. sort of zombie horde and, exactly and doing using feral ghouls that way is the best and mm-hmm. just the cinematics of like you get some like you you send your players through like a mission and they get to the end and then all of a sudden they have to escape through like an endless tide of of ghouls as they rush across the table is just too too good. Yeah, it's exactly. too good. Yeah, and I'm glad that they that you're able to get your grubby paws on these things. Um, I I can't wait for the robots. I can't wait. There's just a lot of things in this game that I'm super excited for that I, um, I definitely need to get. And I'm not going to rustle through the papers to pull out that card right now. I started, and then I realized yeah, this I, is making bad radio, <laughs> so I'll stop that now. But oh, I know my my problem is like it's probably good that they have a, a production bottleneck because it 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 limits what I what I is available for me to buy right now because otherwise I'd probably be selling a kidney. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, it's not necessarily, it's not ridiculously expensive, but when you try and buy everything at once as you and I want to do, it can add up quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, yeah. And the quality of these models is excellent. Now I ended up, oh, I wanted, I wanted the resin starter kit, but I wasn't able to get it again, production issues. So I got the plastic version and I normally, um, avoid the plastic stuff like the plague, but I, I have to say I'm really they're, impressed they're, with the quality. Quite, There's maybe rounded a little rounding on one model, mm-hmm. but otherwise perfect. They're as good they're as good as like cool mini or knots plastic models from like zombie side yeah. or any of the games they do. I might even so say you do slightly have better on yeah. some, on some, on some of the thinner parts, you make it some bending or warping. It's nothing mm-hmm. you can't fix right? with like the hot water bath, you know, mm-hmm. trick. Um, the details really good on them. It's not nearly as good as the resin. I mean, if you picked up the resin models, I mean, it's like, I mean, they, the models, like look at you and demand that you treat them with respect yes. and dignity 
when it comes to your paintbrush. And that's one of like the hardest things is like, you just don't, you get them and you don't just want to slap paint on them just to get them on the table. You want, you want mm-hmm. to take your time on these models because they're absolutely gorgeous. Yes. The brotherhood of steel models that I have, I've gotten a couple different packs. I've got like the uh, dance box and I've gotten the like the the night Knights Patrol box. Mm-hmm. I mean, just fantastic. The Super Mutant. Um, I think it's called. His name is the Hammer. Mm-hmm. He's a Super Mutant with the rocket launcher. Absolutely fantastic model. Gorgeous model to paint. Um, tons of fun to 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 paint and work on. Um, just remember, they are resin. Um, so you need to to to, to, to take your time washing them because I kind of mm-hmm. screwed that up on one of my models and I'm already having problems with it because I'm not used to painting resin models. Yeah. And so I kind of I was like, oh, I remember you got to kind of have to wash this, and I kind of cut some corners and I'm already having issues. So yeah, no, wash your models. That is one thing <sighs> I heard. Wash them, wash them, wash them. Yeah, yeah. Soap, d- d- just heavy, you know, whatever your Dawn dish soaps, toothbrush, really. Take yeah. some time and be careful because some of the bits are a little thin and yes. fiddly with the resin and you could break them. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost Dance's head. I don't oh, know. How. No. I think he ended up down the drain. Luckily, um, luckily, I had gotten um, in my starter set my um, 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 power armor power armor guy in that he came and the the he was broken and modifius replaced him and so i just cut the head off the broken one and put it on dance's nice power armor suit so he's got the um he's got the helmet on instead of his face showing which is yeah. fine yeah totally you know? fine. and it was totally me i was just being sloppy with washing them and i didn't even notice it yeah. Until I went to put the models together after they had dried out and I was mm-hmm. like where's his head yeah that sucks <laughs> And I was like, I was like, shoot, because they're very, they're 32 millimeter, but they're, they're like true scale. So mm-hmm. they're more like 28s. I mean, if you're used to painting heroic scale stuff, like a heroic scale 28 model is not the same, is like much bulkier and chunkier than these models. They're, yeah. they're like model kit models as far as their proportions go, yeah, and which are. I love. Yeah. I absolutely love it. It's so, it's so great that it's not this cartoony looking fallout. It's mm-hmm. like, oh no, these are real people, not you know, yeah. cartoony people. So I was like going through my, all my bits box. And I've got like nothing that even remotely is close to like the scale mm-hmm. that these guys are as far as heads. I'm like, Oh, so I could have this like ginormous, like bald headed Soviet guy from bolt action. <laughs> yeah. Who's got a head that's like, you know, 10 times the size of a regular head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so I, luckily, luckily yeah. I had that broken model that, yeah, exactly. A yeah. broken model. It was like it was like a, a blessing in disguise. You, your box shows up. You've been waiting, and yeah. you got a broken model, and you're disappointed. But in the end, it all works out. Yeah, man. The it dice all... gods have have smiled upon your life. That's right. Poseidon loves you. That's uh, right. <laughs> I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at the the power armor from that box that you're talking about, and mine's still on the sprue. Not dance the um, from the patrol box and. I'm looking, I just wanted to talk about the bases because oftentimes people spend a lot of money and time making their bases look beautiful or buying resin bases to match. And the Fallout universe is so, uh, I mean, the, the, the scenery is so yeah. integral to the game. And it's so fact- visu- and it's so visually like detailed and yeah. stunning and beautiful yeah. and, and rich. 
and they all their mo- all the models they said you know we're not just going to give them the black lipped mm-hmm. bases that every game has we're going to give you those resin custom bases that you spend tons of money on mm-hmm. that you only put on your characters or on uh, a force that you're trying to win best painting award mm-hmm. or whatever that is every single model has that and so when i was first buying getting the game i was like yeah these models are a little bit expensive for the number you get like it kind of had that feel Mm -hmm. but then when i realized like wait a second like i would normally like on a game like this where there's a very low model count i would go out and buy those custom bases yep like you like in the end like if you were to pay for those models and pay for the bases separate you would easily spend more money than than what you get in these boxes yeah. and so the value that you're get, actually getting out of these boxes because you're getting those detailed bases those custom bases that you would normally have to go pay mm-hmm. you know another $20 for three bases for well, like then. those they're built in. They're they're built into the yeah. box. They're built into the model themselves, and they're they're a ton of fun to paint and a, and a ton of details in them, and they're absolutely fantastic. The only downside to them is this: if you're going to go out and get third party miniatures to represent different things, like oh, I can't I can't wait for Raiders to come out. Mm-hmm. So I bought a bunch of models to represent Raiders. You then have to figure out what you're going to do with your bases because you oh, don't have sense. that level of yeah. detail. So I've found myself having to like custom make or buy bases so that the third party models I've been buying to represent Raiders and other NPCs or other, cause I've wanted to have additional settlers and mm-hmm. things like that. Or there's a lot of cool, there's a lot of cool knockoff games that I've never gotten into, but I really like the models for that are kind of post-apocalyptic. So I've been buying a bunch of those just to have, cause mm-hmm. it's, I have a reason to own them, but I have to go and customize these bases. And it's kind of, it's kind of, that's the only downside is because the, the, the game itself demands that you have, these beautiful custom bases on any model that you're using. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm looking at this base and you have, I mean, just to talk about the detail, I can see individual bottle caps because that's the currency yep. in the game. There's a empty um, Nuka-Cola bottle. There's a tire. There's um, you have a, a board section and there's mm-hmm. a bit of an I beam sticking out on top of your usual Rocky debris. And that's just Rocky debris, cracks, sidewalks. Yeah. Busted light poles, busted mm-hmm. fire hydrants. I mean, you name it. Their bases have it on there. And every base is different. There's no model in the game that has the same base as another model in the game. Mm-hmm. Which is, which is, I mean, amazing. It's not like they go, all right, we're going to make 10 different bases and then just kind of, you know how yeah, some companies do that? And they cycle mm-hmm. through. It's like, they'll do it with their models where it's like, it's the same pose, just a different head. Yeah. You know, or same pose, different weapon. It's every base is like its own custom made base and it, it just gives so much more individuality and flavor to the figures. And I'm looking at these going, I think I'm actually going to have to paint my models separately and then paint the bases separately and then glue them together. So I'm thinking, maybe pull out the old icy pole sticks or the popsicle sticks, stick the models to those, paint them there. And then, yeah, man, they're just, they're just too good. Yep. It's, it's, it's the model. Like I said, the models are absolutely gorgeous. And one of the things is like, because they're so individualized, it, it almost makes it, you feel like you would be like committing a grievous sin to like buy duplicates of something and field it on the table at the same time. Like I'm one of the guys, those guys who would go out and buy like two, two, two copies of the starter set. So I have double components, right. Mm -hmm. Of everything. But if I did that, I probably would end up not using 
wanting to use any of the models out of it because I'd be like, well, I don't want a second super mutant that looks like this. Mm -hmm. I don't want a second survivor that looks like this. I think in the, um, in the survivor expansion box, which has 10 models, it has, it has the resin versions of those two to two, the two settler models. And I'm like, Oh, that's kind of disappointing because I wouldn't want to double up field two of the same models on board, even if I painted them up differently, Yeah, you know, because, and especially cause it's such a low model count, there's not really a reason to feel duplicate models. Right. Yeah. That's a good and point. It, it, so it's yeah. just, yeah, it's, they're just, they are, they are a, they're, they're some of the best looking models I've ever seen. Like if you've ever played infinity and you know, like the quality and detail that Cora's belly puts yeah, into their so models, it's, it is on that level. Right. Yeah. And it makes you wish that Corvus Belly had resin models instead of um, the metal models because the resin is 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 so great, it's so it's, tight, and, and the detail is so crisp. Yeah. And you don't have like the um, the breakage issues that you would get from um, mm -hmm. um, metal models. You know, metal models, especially when they're true scale like this, they have a tendency to those those hard points have a tendency to break off a lot more than the um, the like overly cartoony heroic scale stuff. Mm -hmm. um, um, the resin is really nice for that, but you do need to be careful because resin is a lot more fragile. Oh yeah, you know, it is. It you don't want to drop it. New, new. All right, so I have the core game, and I have a couple of the expansions. But um, one of the things that I really like as an expansion for this game is one of the smallest boxes I've ever seen for any expansion ever, um, and I was able to pick up really cheaply in a local shop. Um, that I think people are able to get more easily than the miniatures, because I think it's the models for this game that are that's causing the production delay, and that's the Fallout Wasteland Warfare Settlement deck. So it's just a little tiny. I mean, it fits in the palm of my hand. It's it, they're the little cards, but it's 119 expansion cards that includes weapons, equipment, mods, chems, power armor, boosts, quests, perks, leaders, exploration cards. It's just a massive up, up. Um, I don't know. Upgrade. Up, upgrade. Thank you to the basic stuff that comes in the box. Of which, by the way, there's a lot. So um, it really fleshes out the universe are you a fan of that yep definitely a fan of it i i think that if you're gonna buy the game when i bought the game i bought that right away because i had played with um a friend of ours who was up visiting for christmas had gotten the game and had it and so i i already knew the value of that little box it's not very expensive and it it, it either double or triples the number of item cards and boost cards and quest cards and event cards that you have so it gives you so much more uh, so many more options and flushes out a lot of the missing items that you might have expected from a fallout game. Mm -hmm. um, um, and so I definitely recommend getting that box and picking it up. It helps a ton and it just gives you so many more things to use and interact with and play with. And um, I saved my little box cause I, I took the cards out and threw them, threw them in and mixed them in with the other item cards I had, but I like the little box. It looks like a little box of like 22 shells. You know, like a yes, little box of ammo. it does, doesn't it? Um, but I, it's, the box is, the box is actually big enough to store a single set of the dice. You can fit all the dice from the starter set into that box. Oh, cool. I didn't realize that. Yep. That is. Yep. So that's what I was using to, to store my, to store my dice. So keep that box. It's, uh, it comes in real handy. 
Um, but yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. And every time you buy an expansion set, it comes with more cards to mix into what you have already. Yeah. And more missions, which I think is something else that yeah. adds value to each one of those box sets. As you said, right. um, you not only get the scenic bases and the models and the unit cards for those units, both the AI and the player cards, you get other bonus um cards to play the game with um, more accessories more advent you know quest cards more whatever else plus you get a full adventure which is right. on a full-size piece of paper that folds out it's awesome yep and that's one thing that's really cool like it's going to help keep the game fresh mm-hmm. like a lot of games become stagnant and a lot of the stagnation comes from lack of missions like remember when we played bolt action it was like the same six missions oh, out yeah. of the book and one of those missions was absolutely unplayable so it's just <laughs> the same mean? five <laughs> missions over and over again and both you and i when we were doing boltaction.net, we're writing missions for the community, playtesting them so to find out where they're balanced yep. and throwing them out there and putting out new missions for people to play to keep the game interesting. Yeah. And so, you know, like I said earlier, that's one of the things I love about Malifaux is that there's like an endless combination of missions that you can do. Um, and to tell the story, well, the way they're doing it is that every box has its own mission. And so as they release new sets, there'll be new missions for you to play. They'll yeah. do quests that you can do. And the the cards that come in the settlement deck and the and the and the, the, the expansion boxes aren't just the item cards that you need to play the models in the box. Yes. They include boosts, they include leader cards, they include event cards, they include um, extra little side quest cards. And so when you buy those, you'll be expanding your card collection and your item collection and and your events, basically your random events and stuff, mm-hmm. and and making the world more rich with those with those expansion cards. And so the game will stay will con- I think the game will continue to stay fresh as they release new waves because they're going to continue to add new elements and twists to the game that you can utilize in gameplay that you didn't have the previous month when you were playing with the stuff that you had, the stuff that you had previously. So when you buy new stuff, you get new stuff. Yeah, man. I, I, I am such a fan of how this game looks and how it feels. Um, I definitely need to get playing, get playing it, especially since I was able to overcome the production issues to get myself a set of it. Uh, It just, it is. And I love the fallout universe. It just, it, I think it's one of those games that I'm really going to love and I'm looking yep. at playing more of. I just, yep. as we've talked about off air, I, the models are so good. I don't want to disrespect it by not painting them before putting on the table. So what I might do is what you and I did, or what you did, I should say, is um, just base coat wash to start with with a few little highlights and then when you have time, go back and highlight stuff just to that, get, that's what I'd recommend. Yeah. That's what I've been doing. I, I did base coats and I washed and did some, you know, highlights to get them tabletop worthy. And then as I've had time, I've gone back and continued to do detail work on them, yeah. um, over time to, to work them out. Um, the, the last thing I would add mm-hmm. really is that like, I, I haven't, I haven't been into video games for a super long time. And when I picked up this game, I was not super familiar with the Fallout universe. I mean, I'd heard of it. I hadn't played a ton of the games. There are an endless number of Fallout resources to get you familiar with the universe. If you're like, if you're like, I don't know what this Fallout is. I'm not, I don't get it. I've never been in the world. I don't Mm -hmm. know the lore. You can go on YouTube and watch, I mean, hundreds, if not thousands of hours of, 
of content based on the game, the lore, the factions to really familiarize yourself with it and to come up with like ideas for games um, and for missions as well. You could go through and watch the one of my favorite YouTube channels is um, I think it's called Oxhorn. It's a guy who just plays video games and you can watch him play. But what he's done is he's a big Fallout fan and he breaks down all the games and shows you all the storylines and options and missions and quests that you can possibly go on in the game and where everything is. And you watch these and you're like, oh, you could easily convert this into yeah. uh, one of the missions we do for a tabletop mm-hmm. or one of the side quests we do and and incorporate it into the board game. The board game has enough nuts and bolts and chomp to it and and pieces that you could you could take the missions from the game and then play out the video game missions in the board or in the miniatures version of this of, of the fallout game yeah, so absolutely. and you could set and you could set your like if you're like oh i don't have all the wasteland train or all the train from boston or whatever from the video games like you don't need to worry about that you could play you could play you could say your vault that your soul survivor came out of was in fill in the blank Exactly. Wherever you want, in you know, and whatever terrain you have to start off with, you can use. If you have a bunch of winter terrain, you could say that there was a vault in, you know, in Minnesota or mm-hmm. in Alaska or wherever. Or the Boston Rocky Mountains, in the winter, yeah. Or Boston in the winter, if you have if you have a whole bunch of desert terrain because you you know you that's what you have for your from your forty k collection. You can place it in the Mojave. Mm-hmm. You have a bunch of forest and wooded terrain. Maybe it's in the Midwest. Maybe it's in New England in the summer. Like like yeah. terrain and the type of terrain that you have is not a big deal. Like you right. can use just about just about anything, short of like super high end fantasy or super high end um, sci fi stuff. Agreed. Is totally usable for this. You know, and if you really wanted to use that, you could use that too to get yourself by. Yeah. You know. But, but, you know, it's, it's, it's very open world. It's very, like I said, it's RPG light, but it kind of occupies a space like between the, like those RPG light board games where you're kind of constricted by like tiles, you yes. know, and the missions in the book and the tiles that are there that kind of dictate it's, it's more, those are much more like a railroad, like you're on mm-hmm. a railroad. This um, is, this it, is a lot more open. And so like the video game, this is way more sandbox than prescribed which i absolutely you can you can be you can be very open source open world open sandbox play around with it in this much like you would do with a homebrew um, rpg right on well i think um i think that is a good way to finish craig it is amazing as i said hearing your voice again thank you so much for coming on brother yeah, thanks for having me, Brad. We'll have to uh, do this sooner rather than later. Amen. And uh, I will have to get some games in, and then we can talk about uh, the more nitty-gritty side of this game because I'm definitely planning on playing quite a bit of this in the near future. Awesome, man. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you very much for listening to Cast Dice. Um, I realize that podcasting doesn't cost any money, um, but uh, at least to listen to. But uh, as we've said many times on this podcast, time is a resource that many of us just don't have a lot of these days. So I would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to this. I know I've said that many times on this show, but I don't want it to be one of those things that people, I don't know, uh, take for granted. I take... Uh, Every time anyone messages me through the Cast Dice Facebook page, um, 
I and say how much they enjoyed an episode or give me feedback. I appreciate the fact that you've listened and that you've thought about the show and that you have any you know suggestions or feedback to give. Um, the fact that you are listening to what I consider to be my hobby is you know hugely humbling to me. So if you have taken the time to listen to this episode or any other episode of Cast Dice, thank you very much. It is appreciated. But ladies and gentlemen, as always, uh, if you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot, I hope your beverages are cold, but more than anything else, I hope you are having fun. Good night. And the terrorists fanned out.